Note, this episode contains a graphic description of the experience of combat. I mean, all hell starts breaking loose. Like, we start, I started getting fire from air, literally 360. And I remember crouching down, looking up. And at this point, it's like a canopy of tracer rounds. RPGs are going off. I mean, it's just like, it's crazy. And so I'm just like thinking, where are all these people? Like, yeah. that, to create this much fire. I mean, it was just, yeah. it looked like fireworks were going off, you know. This is a production of Dirty Mo Media. Hello, my name is Rick Houston. Are you ready for another glorious, white-knuckled, God-fearing, spun-out, and half-turned-over racing story? Buckle up, because I've got one for you. Lyndon Amick is not the most famous personality we'll feature on this podcast, but I can guarantee you this. His story is extraordinary and one that you will not forget. The Bush series of the late 1990s was a wonderful place. Traditional blue skies greet the 43 Bush Grand National starters. With personalities up and down pit road and throughout the garage. There was Jason Keller, Randy LaJoy, and his best friend Buckshot Jones. The Green Brothers, Jeff, David, and Mark. Hank Parker Jr. Glenn Allen. Tim Fedewa, Mike McLaughlin, and even this new kid by the name of Del Earnhardt Jr. Lyndon Amick was there too. He had been a football student athlete in high school, but passed on the chance to play in college in order to go racing. The decision resulted in Lyndon winning the 1996 Goodies Dash season opener at Daytona and the series championship. The next year, he moved up to NASCAR's number two national touring division with a team owned by his father, South Carolina businessman, Bill Amick. While trying to get up to speed in the division, Lyndon bent his fair share of sheet metal. Car number 35, uh, Lyndon Amick had nowhere to go. He was in the groove. He hit another driver so hard during the very first race of his Bush Series career which just so happened to be at Daytona, his helmet actually twisted on his head. In the process, he was struck in the eye by his radio mic. He met Hank Parker Jr., the fellow driver who would eventually become one of his best friends following another accident. Uh, I met Hank Jr. in the ambulance after the hooligan, <laughs> after the hooligan race. This is um, becoming a theme here, Lyndon. Yes, I know. <laughs> It's either go fast or go home. I went home more. Uh, no, I, we were racing in the 97 uh, hooligan race to get into the homestead race, and I wrecked Hank Jr. I was on the inside of him, I think in turn three, and got loose and wrecked him. So, we, you know, back then, you get in the ambulance sometimes with the guy that you wrecked or were wrecked by, you know, make, making it even more dynamic. He gets in there, and he just has this biggest grin on his yeah. face, you yeah. know, and just was very – I was like, I'm getting ready to fight, you know, kind of thing, because I didn't, I didn't mean to, but I did wreck him. Um, but anyway, we get in there and just hit it off. Lyndon and Hank Jr. wound up doing life together for the next few years. They met their future wives at about the same time and were in each other's weddings. It was Hank Jr. who introduced Lyndon to Dale Earnhardt Jr., they were all drivers, they were all competitive, and online racing was just becoming a thing. They were off to the races, 
both literally and virtually. Dale Jr. set up these four computers. He took four corner desks and placed them all together so they made a circle. And we had four independent computers, steering wheels, pedals, the whole deal. And so we were in there racing online back when nobody knew anything about that. And it's like six in the morning. We've been racing all night. And Did you really? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. <laughs> crazy. As the sun was just starting to peek over the North Carolina countryside, Dell Earnhardt Sr. walked in on the gathering. He was not impressed. Or was he? Dell Sr. walks in and just is like mad because we've been up all night. Y'all need to get a oh job. Gosh. Y'all need to go to work. Wow. You know? um, at the same time, grinning out of the side of his mouth because we're yeah. all in there together, you know, racing. Lyndon finished fourth in the 1998 Bush Series event at Myrtle Beach with Dale Jr. just one spot behind at the checkered flag. The effort came in Lyndon's home state of South Carolina, and it turned out to be the best finish of his Bush Series career. With Lyndon Amick and young man, what a great run tonight. Congratulations. Thank you, man. It's, it's been a, I guess it's been a long time coming. I've been trying to prove myself in this series for two years, and I got to thank God. You know, uh, we've had faith in him all along, and uh, it just shows uh, that he was working in our life, and uh, we didn't even know it. You know, we had a bad season last year, and, and we took time off at the beginning of this year, and, uh, you know, Buddy Barnes and the crew has paid off, and this is where it starts right here. Top fives lead to wins, and wins lead to championships, so that's where we're starting. And the key says, took a little time off, gathered things up, and a top five finish for Lyndon Amy. The next year, in 1999, Lyndon scored a fifth-place finish at Talladega. Still, racing can be incredibly frustrating. There were crashes and mechanical failures. Team Amick attempted the full Bush Series schedule in the year 2000, but failed to qualify for the season opener at Daytona and two more events at the end of the year, including the season finale at Homestead. And then there were the tragedies that claimed the lives of Adam Petty and Kenny Irwin and Blaze Alexander. He had known them all. He'd been friends with them all. And then there was the final turn of the final lap of the 2001 Daytona 500. I think the it all kind of started for me uh, with Big E. I remember like debating whether I even want to go to the racetrack again. Like that was a huge, it was huge. I mean that like, you know, I think you can somehow as sad as this sounds, you can somehow reason away other people. Rationalize but, it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But he is, you know, the pinnacle of who we all wanted to be, you know, like if that can happen to him, obviously it can happen to anybody. And, you know, you move on, you have to rationalize it away. Uh, justify it and move on to the next race thinking that it can't happen to you. Lyndon began the 2002 season behind the wheel of cars sponsored by Dr. Pepper and fielded by team owner Dave Carroll. It did not go well at all and he parted ways with the team after just 10 races. But that was a terrible train wreck on both sides yeah. uh, and you know so <laughs> Some of the things that I was asked to do as a driver was mind-blowing. And, uh, you know, that whole process really just deflated me and kicked me in, in the groin. A son was born to Lyndon and his wife Melanie in November 2002. The events of the last three years were weighing heavily on Lyndon as 2003 got underway. 
and at some point, an idea began to take shape. A World War II buff, Lyndon had always been intrigued by the military. His dad was a veteran, but where did Lyndon fit into all that? Things came to a head before, during, and after the April 2, 2003 Bush Series event at Talladega. Lyndon looked at his newborn son on pit road, and that was all it took. The catalyst, though, for me was 2002 when my son, November 2002, when my son was born. When he was born, it changed me. It changed me. Kids have a way of doing that. Yeah, Yeah. very deep way. And I realized that there's more to life than driving a race car. And I I have a picture. uh, It's a picture of me at that race holding him as a six-month-old. And... Um, I just remember being in that moment, holding him on that pit road, going, this is, this is not all it's cracked up to be. Lyndon had qualified 11th for the Talladega event, and it started well enough. He was running in fifth place as the field hurtled through turn four on lap nine. But when Johnny Sauter slowed off the corner, Lyndon was right behind him and lifted off the throttle ever so slightly. Yeah, the 32 gets into the back of the 21. Amy gets into the back of uh, Sauter. Apparently, maybe Lyndon Amy got in the back of him, checked up. Then Brian Vickers gets in the back of him, the five car. Sauter slowed, Lyndon slowed, but Brian Vickers did not and turned Lyndon into an accident that eventually collected 17 other cars. He cuts the tire. I see it. I see it coming apart. I put my hand up. Yeah. Oh, you know, problem. Let off the gas. The guy behind me never lifts. Hits me. 30-something car, 20 car, however many. It was like half the field wrecked out. Before he ever came to a stop, Lyndon Amick had made an important decision. Literally, I remember I'm spinning, almost almost <laughs> flipped over, but I'm spinning down the track going, I'm done. My, no kidding. That's my synopsis of my career. Holy right cow. There. Wow. You know, yeah. um, I was thinking like there were six races that I was leading inside 10 to go that something happened. And so this was another one of those nails in the coffin for me where I'm like, I'm done. I'm done. And I literally walked away. I took my helmet off, got in the ambulance, rode in the infield. I knew it. I knew I was, I'm, I'm done. I told I got into the motorhome, told dad, I said, that's it. I'm not doing this anymore. For maybe a month before Talladega, Lyndon had been toying with the idea of joining the South Carolina National Guard. On May 28, 2003, less than two months after the final race of his career, he raised his right hand and was sworn in. The appeal to me of the military was the ability to be relying on myself only. So my, from the standpoint of my success is determined on my own you know how I perform I think it was kind of a it's kind of a response to feeling like that my own performance was not taken into account into the success of my career to that point okay. well obviously yeah. I'm driving the car right but uh, I think I was tired of my career being other people's hands is what it felt like so the military is one place where you can absolutely succeed or fail based upon your own response and how you handle yourself from your physical shape to your leadership, to your ability to follow orders, all those things. Lyndon Amick eventually went to airborne school and served with the first battalion of the 118th regiment of the South Carolina national guard An overseas deployment was a possibility in theory, but then 
as the end of his initial three-year enlistment neared its end, it became a reality. The first of the 118th was headed to Afghanistan in May 2007. I was at um, Fort Stewart in Georgia when our unit had a, a meeting and basically said this is the point of no return. Um, we are getting deployed. We're going to Afghanistan. And I was at the end of my three years, so I could have just opted out. Uh, I'm at the end of my contract, so I actually... See you. <laughs> I actually extended to deploy. Once on the ground in Afghanistan, Lyndon's unit did everything from gate guard duty to personal security details for dignitaries and high-ranking officers to convoy security on up to and including movement to contact, where he and his fellow guardsmen would actively search out the bad guys. I touched base with Lyndon a few times via email while he was in country. Some of his notes were a little jarring. How goes it? It's going okay here. We stay very busy. I'm in Herat, and it's an okay place when people are not trying to kill you. Two months later came this message. Well, Everything is still fine. I have seen a little combat now. We got mortared two or three nights ago and had some small arms fire. And then, in March 2008, my heart almost stopped. I finally got to go on a good mission and go after bad guys, and in the process, was in a 40-minute intense firefight. In Lyndon's words, this is what happened. It was a very interesting day. Um, that particular mission, we were helping support the Af- embedded trainers that were training the Afghan police. So they had this bad guy, and uh, you wouldn't believe the amount of work that went into the prep for this mission. They knew they were there. Here they are. Special Forces has run the drone recon over this area over and over again. We got the maps. We got everything about this mission. And we get there, and we go to kick in the door, and it's the wrong house. All the intel had the wrong house. As Lyndon's vehicle attempted to find the correct house, the rest of the convoy did not move. That would come into play just a few moments later. There was the house with the bad guys, maybe 250 yards to Lyndon's left front. And then this happened. Gunfire starts. And so it's at first it was only coming from where the building was. There was a, a I think it's a PKM. There was an automatic machine gun on top of that house and started firing at us. Remember, as Lyndon got out of his vehicle to start returning fire, he was separated from the rest of his convoy. This is the picture. So all my guys, we're on the radio. All my guys are back. They can't get to me. They're in a. They're in like a. They're caught in this high-walled area where these huts have like 15-foot walls for some reason, these mud walls. And so they can't see me. All they can do is hear the gunfire going on. And so people are getting on the radio and like screaming. And I mean, yeah, it's just yeah, chaos, yeah, yeah. you know. And so like this, I'm just like, okay, this is nonsense. So I just go on the radio and say, you know, tell everybody, shut up. Listen, here's the, this is the situation. You need to get to me. We're going to hold, hold down the fort until you, you can try to get here. It was at that point when the situation went from bad to worse. And at that moment, I mean, 
all hell starts breaking loose. Like we start, I started getting fire from air, literally 360. And I remember crossing down, looking up, and at this point, it's like a canopy of tracer rounds going overhead. RPGs are going off. I mean, it's just like it's crazy. And I just remember capturing that moment in my head, going, "This is insane." Like this amount of where are all these people at? That's what I was a long thinking. way from Talladega. Yeah, there's no <laughs> doubt. There's no doubt about it. Um, and so I'm just like thinking, where are all these people? Like, yeah, that, to create this much fire. I mean, it was just, yeah, it looked like fireworks were going off, you know. And uh, so anyway, so that was a uh, Harry probably. It probably was five or ten minutes, but it felt like it was an hour. Incredibly, the exchange was captured on video. Watching the footage, it was as if Lyndon was somebody else who was completely unaware that his life was in danger. One particular moment, I was standing up returning fire. And in that moment, you know, I was concerned. I was heightened, but I wasn't like concerned I was going to die. Like two different moments, like the moments where you're concerned you're going to die are different than the moments you're just concerned in general yeah. or you're heightened because yeah. of the combat situation. So I wasn't like concerned for my life. Well, we go back and watch the video and you can hear rounds ricocheting off the vehicle that I'm standing. Like literally we can, we can go back now and paint the picture of how there were rounds hitting all around me and I'm completely unaware of it in the moment. Four enemy combatants were killed and two weapons caches were recovered. Miraculously, no one in Lyndon's convoy was injured. It was a long way from Talladega, and the days when he had raced for a living at tracks from one end of the United States to the other. What he did miss were the people who were involved in the sport. There was regret from the standpoint of, of not having those relationships with people. It came back to people for me. Uh, I think I missed that, but I oh, did, yeah. you know, yeah. did not yeah. miss the dynamics, um, you know, that I lived through. I was when I was done, I was done. Yeah, when I was over there, man, I was doing my job, and I was so impacted by being over there for that long that I mean, it was literally like it was as far, probably as far from me as like a completely different lifetime. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 During basic training, Lyndon's drill instructor had discovered his background in NASCAR. That led to some interesting comments and directives, but overall, it wasn't something he advertised. Once he was in Afghanistan? It eventually got out. Um, I, didn't, I didn't say anything, you know? Yeah. I, that's not really, not really who I am. I was an arrogant <laughs> jerk, but I wasn't that yeah. much so that I would be like, oh, uh, you know, and I really, what, I mean, what was I really going to say? You know, <laughs> you know, I, when I was like one of the youngest winners in Daytona, like what about now? You know, 10 years later. Yeah. Well, not so much now, but uh, <laughs> back when I was younger, I was better. Well, that could, everybody can say that, right? For me, it wasn't, it wasn't like prominent on my mind. And so, yes, guys eventually found out. The only real result of Lyndon's being outed as a former professional race car driver was that if it basically involved any type of vehicle, he was going to be behind the wheel, from a passenger car in the States to Humvees in Afghanistan. Lyndon returned home in May 2008. It was hard for him to fully describe what it was like for him to be deployed into a combat zone for an entire year, 
and the impact it had on him personally. That year that you spend in country is like 10 years here. The, hmm. the amount of time, the intensity of that time is truly like 10 years here. Like, And also the, the level of aggressiveness that you have to live with there. Like I put it this way, if level 10 in aggression is being ready to kill someone, in America, we never, we should never get above a two or a three where you get in an argument, maybe a fist fight. Yeah, yeah. And when you're over there, you live at level 10 every day of your life for a year. And that impacts you in a major way. This is how that pressure manifested itself. Here, if I want to go to the grocery store and get groceries, I can. I don't have to worry about my security for the most part, nobody's yeah, going to yeah, shoot at me. Yeah, yeah. Nobody, you know, like when every time we left our compound and went to da da da, wherever we went, it was constantly a state of is this person assessing whether this person is trying to kill me? And if they are, or if they are a threat to me, then I have to respond in a manner that keeps me safe, whether that's shoot their car or shoot them or run them off the road or whatever. Whether it doesn't matter. It's like, those are what that's what kept you safe so when you come back here and i'm driving the suburban down the road and i see a bag of trash on the side of the road i the first thing i think of is it going to explode today lyndon lives in south carolina with melanie and their four children their son billy recently committed to play baseball at clemson lyndon also serves as an associate pastor at hope chapel of carolina in batesburg he is one of the lucky ones. I'm Rick Houston, and I'll be back soon with another glorious white-knuckle, God-fearing, spun-out, and half-turned-over racing story. Did you enjoy this glorious racing story? Leave us a rating and review and tell your friends. Check out Dirty Mo Media on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Dirty Mo.